In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about satanic panic, cocaine and absinthe, book snobbery, advising you not to snort dead people's ashes, and how we are intern because all vampires all the time in our discussion of Secret Santa by Andrew Schaefer. Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult, and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Secret Santa by Andrew Schaefer. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, then come back. If you haven't done this, we want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yay! Yay! If you don't want to spoil Christmas... Oh, don't spoil Christmas. It would be terrible. Remember, if it's a secret Santa, it's a secret. You don't put your name on it. <laughs> fundamentals. That's why we do standard disclaimer. I feel like I need to add that bit in. It's fundamental. Sure. Yeah. I still. Let's have some background information about the book. Oh, I read an interview with SciFiNow.co.uk, and there were lots of great questions about this book. But this one is about the history of the Perkt. Just... German a wonderful language. Yeah, I love German. I wish I actually knew it. Or Russian, because they're all, they all just sound so angry, and I like it. <laughs> so, can you tell us the history of this chilling monster, is the question. And the answer is the Perkten, which is the plural of Perkt are followers of Frau Perkta, the Christmas witch of pre-Christian Alpine folklore. Frau Perkta, like our Santa, both rewards and punishes children. If you're good, she'll leave you something boring, like a ball of yarn. If you're bad, however, that's when she brings her A-game. Didn't finish your homework? She'll take out that long knife she carries around her waist and slit your belly, then stuff you with rocks and straw. That ball of yarn doesn't look so bad now, does it? Isn't that a great I, answer? It's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, people need to look, especially if you're American, because you don't have the joys of terrifying Christmas monsters. Like, I'm sure it's Frau Pechter that has... Is she the one with 72 children and the Yule cat? And every single one of them will kill you in some way, shape or form. To the point where I'm sure there was a, one of the countries actually banned the use of them as put like, st- scary stories for kids. And they're like, they're all like nice and fluffy now. The entirety, like Iceland, you know, Germany, Austria, Poland, Sweden, Switzerland, all of them. All of these wonderful European countries, they know how to scare the shit out of kids at Christmas. I wish that was a thing here. I really wish it was as well. It's just, it's magnificent. Europe knows how to scare the shit out of kids at Christmas. And if, if think about it, is that not the true meaning of Christmas? Yes. It's 
scaring the kids that they're doing what you want them to do. Yeah, isn't that what just life is about in general? Isn't that why people have children? Well, I didn't have a child to scare the shit out of them. I had a child, you know, to walk them and make them a weirdo. And he wears that badge proudly. Sure. Yeah. I called him a weirdo the other night. He's like, oh, thanks, mummy. You're welcome, Aww. Aww. What are your initial thoughts on this one? Yeah. <laughs> Murder, death, kill this Christmas. Murder, death, kill this No, Christmas. it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad that new superfan Lindsay suggested we read this one. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that she did suggest this one to us, except for the fact that she listens to the podcast and, you know, knows who we are inside and out because... I don't, I don't think this is something that she would typically read. Oh. So, anyway, I'm glad. I'm glad that she suggested it. And I feel like, I feel like she did it just for us. Shall we begin? Yes. <laughs> that was gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of gold, Nazi gold. Nazi gold. That's right. That's right <laughs> where we're starting. Christmas. 1945, Germany. Xavier Blackwood and his buddy Duluth have abandoned their station and are tromping through the snow with an axe on a top secret mission. To get a Christmas tree! Aww, hooray! Duluth, a young guy, barely looks old enough to drive, but wants a go at chopping down the tree that they find. But instead of whacking the trunk, he sends the axe flying. Xavier goes after it and finds a body instead. What did you do, Duluth? What did you do? (laughs) Next to the body is a box. Duluth wants it to be Nazi gold. But when Xavier opens the box, he finds something different inside. Please be ahead. Please be ahead. Please be ahead. Teeth, 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 teeth. <laughs> wow, we're not right. It's fine. December 1st, 1986, New York. Lucy Mayers heading for an interview as an editor at Blackwood Publishing Company. The old brownstone is black with such a grime. There are wrought iron bars on all the windows and at least six locks on the door. But inside, it's much quainter and more pleasant. The receptionist sends Lucy up to the fourth floor to meet Mr. Blackwood and his secretary, Agnes, sends her in. But upon meeting him, he instantly turns her away, telling her she'll never do. Asshole. Lucy stands up for herself. She's got to get this job. Bitches got bills. Since the small horror publishing house she worked for was taken over by a larger house, she's been out of a job, and Blackwood is her last hope. She's edited several books that have become bestsellers, but Mr. Blackwood dismisses them as tripe. As she leaves, Lucy tells him that he wouldn't know a bestseller if it bit him in his cold black heart. Unfortunately, she trips right after this zinger and crashes into a bookcase, knocking several things around, including a box with something familiar inside. 
a perched doll, just like the one her Oma had when she was a kid that she played with all the time. <laughs> she made it marry Skipper because Skipper didn't have a boyfriend. <laughs> Mr. Blackwood tells her the perished is not a toy, but then he has a heart attack. Ooh, awkward. Lucy goes to visit Mr. Blackwood at the hospital the next day, only to find out he died. <laughs> womp, womp. Womp, womp. <laughs> she overhears a conversation a young man is having on the phone about his death, and it turns out he is Mr. Blackwood's son, Digby, and he's in charge of the publishing company now. Lucy takes a gamble and introduces herself and ends up convincing Digby she can find him the next Stephen King, which he insists she do before the end of the year. Or the company will be going out of business. Okay. Uh (laughs) That's fine. That's only a few weeks away. Wow. Well, she's hired as a senior editor and she starts on Monday, so (laughs) ka-ching. Lucy makes stolen, a traditional German fruitcake, for her first day, hoping to make a nice impression. She meets a few people, like the receptionist, the editor-in-chief called The Raven, and some copy editors, one of which is called Sloppy Joe. These people have really nice names. (laughs) Lucy asks him where they keep the slush pile, all the manuscripts they've received that no one has bothered reading in who knows how long. Sloppy Joe tells her they're in the basement and to take a flashlight with her because it's spooky down there. Of course, it's a basement. basement <laughs> oh, of course. God, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Why is it called Sloppy Joe? You should be Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Obvious slash Sloppy Joe was right. <laughs> it is spooky down in the basement and it gets even spookier when the lights go out and Lucy gets stuck inside a storage cage after finding several promising horror submissions in the slush pile. Then she hears a voice. A hungry voice. Luckily, Digby comes down and finds her and she's able to make it out of the basement and up to her first editorial meeting. The meeting is awkward. Led by La Raven and Dracula's Brides. Three big-haired girls that don't seem to have much going on upstairs. But Lucy makes it through. So much hair and so much hairspray. It's the 80s, everyone. Don't forget. Lucy even suggests a cover redesign for a book they're working on, and everyone seems to like it. Before the meeting ends, there's an odd interaction with the art director, Stanley, and his mechanical pencil that he seems to cherish. And information is relayed about the secret Santa exchange that Lucy was too late to sign up for. What's strange, though, is that she already has a present under the office Christmas tree. Do not trust. No. Mm-mm. Never trust the early gift. Nah, reindeer. Nah, reindeer. <laughs> After the meeting, the rest of Lucy's week goes fairly well, or pretty normally anyway. After work one day, she goes to a book signing for her friend Fabian Nightingale. She edited the book for him, so it's only right that she attend his signing. And it's a good thing because only one other person comes. When that guest falls asleep... <laughs> Poor Fabian. Oh, good. Lucy and Fabian head to a bar, which, fair. The next day, complete with absinthe hangover. Oh, absinthe vile. No, no. 
Lucy goes to work to find she has a young college bro intern, Cal, who has his feet propped up on her desk. Get your feet off the desk, Cal. She tells him to do this twice and threatens to break his leg if he doesn't do it, if he does it again. But then she realises she stepped in something that may or may not be human poo. It, it is. It, it's human it poo. It is human poo. That's, that's human poo right there, Lucy. After a trip to the bathroom to wash her shoe and get a contact high from the raven, who tells Lucy that the poo probably belongs to Alan, the maintenance man slash custodian, it's time for the Christmas party. Lucy goes to get her stolen from the fridge, but it's gone. Sloppy Joe suggests maybe the ghost of Mr. Blackwood took it, but that's not likely because ghosts don't eat, unless we're talking about Slimer from Ghostbusters. We always we are always talking about Slimer from Ghostbusters. As Lucy leaves the break room to go to the Christmas party empty-handed, she mutters under her breath that she hopes whoever took her cake chokes on it. The party isn't terrible. Lucy meets some co-workers who are relatively pleasant, drinks some spike punch, and then it's time for Secret Santa. Everyone gets their presents, and some are silly inside jokes, and some are sentimental, and then it's Lucy's turn. She opens her box and is shocked and pleased to see the pesh doll from Mr Blackwood's office. She thinks Digby is responsible, but he's sitting right next to her, can see in the box, and has absolutely no idea what the perched is. Everyone else is curious as to what's inside the box, but Lucy doesn't want whoever's playing the joke on her to get the satisfaction of seeing her embarrassed. So she says it's empty, and the party continues. Lucy goes to her office to put the perished away and or, you know, hide. But soon after, her friend Fabian Nightingale comes by, apparently invited the night before when they were drinking absinthe. What happens when you're on absinthe should stay when you're on absinthe. Uh, yeah. He also brought Lucy his latest manuscript about vampires, which she promises to read that weekend. Fabian sees the perished, and they talk about how it used to be Mr. Blackwood's and how it's supposed to keep evil away. Fabian wonders, looking out the window through the iron bars, what evil Mr. Blackwood could have been keeping away. Hmm. After walking Fabian out, Lucy sees Carl's bag is still in her office, and she realises she hasn't seen him in a while. She mentioned earlier that she wanted to go get more manuscripts from the basement, but surely he's not there now. Lucy grabs her flashlight and heads down to check. She hears a terrible mewling sound, and, thinking it's Cal, she goes to investigate. Uh, but it turns out to be drunk Digby, lamenting over the fact that the company hasn't turned a profit in its 40-year existence. How is that possible? Wow. New York rental prices? Even in the 80s? After he passes out, Lucy hears the mewling again. And this time, it is Cal. And he's crushed under a ton of manuscripts. Don't worry, Cal is still alive. His leg's broken. Damn. On Lucy's way into work on Monday morning, a man named Peter, who says he works for OSHA, asks to speak with her. But she pretty much brushes him off. Why would he want to talk to her? Shouldn't he want to talk to someone in management? He warns her 
that her life may be in danger. And then she rushes into the building. Surely that's not true. Yeah, Mr. Blackwood had a heart attack and Cal broke his leg, but like, those were isolated incidents. Lucy tells Gail, the receptionist, about the man outside, and she pulls a huge gun from under her desk and accidentally (laughs) shoots the Christmas tree. (laughs) Maybe the OSHA guy was onto something here. How do you accidentally fire an enormous gun? Whoops! That is such an American thing. <laughs> Digby is waiting inside Lucy's office when she goes to tell her that his father's funeral is scheduled for the next day. He's also shoeless, having stepped in pain that he says came from Cindy Lauper, a raccoon, not the singer. <laughs> want to take a moment to appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> he sent Cal away to clean his shoes for him and Lucy is surprised to learn that Cal came back at all much less so soon the dude literally just broke his leg at when work don't go back <laughs> I mean, to be fair as well you you know you don't have sick pay you know yeah so you're not getting I paid at got... all no oh bloody hell. I forgot about that uh, <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a good. <laughs> when he returns, Digby leaves, and then the Raven comes to ask to borrow a cow. Before he leaves, Lucy knows that the purse is missing, just like her fruitcake. She needs to start labeling it. She stuff. really does. He asks Cal if he recalls seeing the doll, but no. Can you say she asks Cal? She asks Cal if he recalls seeing the doll, but no. No, not reindeer. Lucy goes down to the basement with plans to tidy up the collapsed slush pile, but someone has apparently already taken care of it. While she's down there, though, she finds the perched. Did she take it down there on Friday when she found Cal? She doesn't think so. Lucy then goes toward the break room, still carrying the doll, but she hears the roof door bang, so she goes out there instead. She can see into the conference room and notices that everyone is in there having a meeting without her. Sloppy Joe sees her and closes the blinds. <gasps> what? Rude. Rude. Ah. Angry that she was excluded from this meeting, Lucy stomps back toward her office, but stops at the art department, perched still in hand. No one is there, of course, so she goes in to look at the cover redesign that she suggested, and it looks good. Before she leaves, Stanley, the art director, comes in. He accuses Lucy of taking Norma and breaks down, sobbing. The raven comes in then, holding Norma, which is a mechanical pencil. Uh, She tells Lucy she'll need to apologise to Stanley later. Really? Seriously? Why? Okay. And Lucy agrees to, but not before saying she'd love to shove that stupid pencil where the sun doesn't shine instead. Unfortunately, she left the perched in there, so she'd have to go back for it at some point. Not now, though. No. Let's, let's, let's take a break. Yeah. Lucy goes to her office and reads Fabian's manuscript for hours. It's really good! She realizes that most everyone has left for the night, but she didn't notice Stanley leaving. She wants to avoid him at all costs. 
She gets a phone call from her sister and asks about their almost perished, but all her sister thinks is that Lucy's going to get one for her daughter and begs her not to. The phone call ends, and as Lucy leaves the building, she passes the art department and can hear someone inside. Stanley must still be in there. She'll have to get the perished tomorrow. The next day is the day of the funeral, and Lucy has completely forgotten. Everyone looks to be leaving together, but the raven stops Lucy and asks her to hang back and wait for a package of galleys to be delivered. Even though they have a receptionist for that. The raven implies it's not like she knew Mr Blackwood or anything, so she agrees to wait, but insists that the raven read Fabian's manuscript in exchange. The raven agrees and everyone leaves for the funeral. Lucy steps out for a few minutes to get coffee, avoids a homeless guy out front, and returns with plans to go into the art department and get her perched back. Inside, she finds Stanley, blood all down his front, twitching at his desk. She sees a metallic glint inside his nostril. It's normal. No! Ugh! Yikes. Lucy calls 911 and is a mess. Luckily, Fabian comes by, but it's just to pick up his manuscript. Lucy explains that she's being hazed or pranked or something, and she's got a list of who could be doing it. But now, Stanley isn't on it anymore. (laughs) Before Fabian can inquire more about this list, Lucy is beckoned into the park and or the homeless encampment by Peter, the OSHA guy. It turns out his name is not Peter, shocking no one, but Frederick, and he used to work at Blackwood, but he only lasted a couple of months. He also got hazed and pranked and wee things happened around him too, and people got hurt. He explains how he worked on a religious imprint that Blackwood was starting and has a background in religious studies. He gives Lucy a book and tells her, do not bring detestable things into your home, for then you will be destroyed just like them and mentions that the bars that are supposed to keep evil out might be keeping them in too. Thanks, Mr. Crypto. Thanks. Appreciate all of that. Back at the office, Lucy opens the book Frederick gave her and waits for the package delivery. The book is a Bible from the 1920s. She decides to put it in her office and not take it home based on the cryptic thing Frederick said to her. She must doze off or something because the raven comes in with an advanced reader copy of a book she had to buy from homeless man apparently the homeless man does not know that you're not allowed to sell arcs it says so right on the cover not for resale <laughs> i mean it's the 80s it might have different it might not be strict that might be because of instances like this that's true. Like, this that's is why this is why you can't yeah, buy them this is exactly why <laughs> So it seems that Lucy missed the delivery. The raven sees she's covered in blood. And so Lucy explains what happened to Stanley. The raven sends her home for the rest of the day. At home, Lucy calls Fabian, who was a little miffed about her running into the homeless encampment with a stranger. She asks him to meet her at the library because she wants to show him the Bible and talk about her suspectness that really isn't going anywhere. She goes back to her office to get the Bible, but before she can leave, one of her co-workers, Rachel, comes by to tell her about Stanley. He's still alive, but can't talk or really do much of anything except draw because Norma went three quarters of an inch into his brain in what the doctors assume was a suicide attempt. 
That is a horrible way to do yeah. it. Ugh. Rachel then shows Lucy a drawing that Stanley gave her. It's the purse. <gasps> Lucy wonders about all the accidents and how she said she would shove that pencil where the sun doesn't shine. It's all very <gasps> weird. Witch. She's a witch. She didn't literally mean for that to happen, though. Just then, something begins to strike the window, and Rachel assumes it's the terrible neighborhood kids throwing snowballs. Nah, it's not. It's birds. Oh, no. Lots of them. Oh, no, 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 Just no, no, flying no. right into the window. Blood and beaks and feathers everywhere. Rachel screams, and as Lucy looks out the window... She smells something strange and passes out. What an odd occurrence. <laughs> when Lucy wakes, she's strapped to the conference room table with Christmas lights and her mouth taped shut, surrounded by several of her co-workers in cloaks and wearing Halloween masks. <laughs> yeah. The Green Witch, who Lucy assumes correctly to be the Raven, pulls out a bowie knife with plans to do a spiritual cleansing ritual by cutting out Lucy's heart. <sighs> really? Before that, though, she wants to give Lucy a chance to talk things over so the tape is removed. Does she not know you do not do spiritual cleansing rituals on a conference room table? Uh-uh. That's just not classy. No. My- you want a stone table in the forest. Right. My favorite part, though, is that she's strapped to the table with Christmas lights and then someone plugged the Christmas lights in. <laughs> so it's like festive. It's like a festive murder. I like them to be a bit like the blinky kind as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Or the ones that like chase. Yes. Yeah. It's It's got some kind of like dynamic movement to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the Raven says that Cal put his feet up on Lucy's desk and she threatened him with broken legs. And here he is with a broken leg. Stanley put his pencil where the sun doesn't shine, just like she said, too. But what about the stolen fruitcake? Lucy wished that person would choke, and that hasn't happened. The raven explains she couldn't use her magic because she didn't know who took the cake. But then stupidly she admits it was her and then she immediately chokes and dies wow she dumb what are you thinking you are dumb really like how, you are dumb. how stupid do you have to be you're explaining dumb all of this issues. you know what's gonna happen honestly it's one of the silliest like you don't do that no I'm going to list all these terrible methods of death and how you've cursed these people and then going to admit to being one of the people who's wronged you. (laughs) Immediately. Immediate death. Immediately. Immediate death. (laughs) Suddenly, the Christmas lights tying Lucy to the table go out, are loosened, and the knife is put into her hand. Mm. One of her co-workers must be helping her. Lucy manages to escape from Blackwood, and luckily there's a cab right out front waiting. Inside is Fabian, and he pays the cabbie extra to get them out of there fast. 
He waited for a long time at the library and knew Lucy wouldn't blow him off, so he knew something was afoot. He's so British. (laughs) They go back to Fabian's apartment and Lucy tells him everything. He's pretty sure he's heard rumors of terrible things happening at Blackwood for a number of years, like all the interns they've had dying or disappearing. And he doesn't want her to go back. But she has to get her purse and the perished and figure out who's killing people based on the weird things that she's muttered under her breath. You know, sometimes you just have to write just things go. off. Just walk away. Just walk away. You can, you can, yeah. Fabian, who always has the best drugs, offers Lucy some pills to help her sleep. But when he turns away, she drugs his tea and goes out oh, no. looking for answers. Don't drug the tea. Don't, no, don't drug your friend. Don't do no, it. No, the tea. Don't we drug your friend, that's fine, but don't drug the tea. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy goes to see Agnes, Mr. Blackwood's secretary, who left the same day that he had his heart attack. They were not so secret lovers, so Lucy figures she'll know a lot about all the weird stuff that's been happening at Blackwood for the past 40 years. And she does! Lucy finds the box that held the pest when she was in Mr. Blackwood's office. She finds it in the downstairs loo, and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway. And she knows that Agnes has her, was her secret Santa. When Lucy asks her why she gave her the pest, Agnes has an interesting answer. Mm-hmm. Agnes tells Lucy that Mr. Blackwood had the pest since he was in Nazi Germany, and that when he found it, His luck changed, but always at a price. He got to come home early from the war and made his fortune, but his parents died in a car crash. The parish will do great things as long as he is fed. And what was he fed at Blackwood for all those years? The missing interns. Mystery solved. Mm. When Lucy interacted with the parish in Blackwood's office and said what she said about him not knowing a bestseller if it bit him in his cold black heart, well, the parish liked that. And Agnes knew Lucy was his new master. Lucy tries to deny the gift, but that's not how the parish works. Lucy tells Agnes that she needs to turn herself into the police for being complicit in all the intern deaths. But she kills herself instead. Well, shit. You're not taking me alive, copper. <laughs> Lucy arms herself with lots of silver bracelets she found at Agnes's, figuring that silver is probably just as good as keeping evil at bay as iron. She takes the perished box, steals Agnes's car, and goes back to Blackwood. On her way into the building, planning to use the fire escape, she falls into the dumpster. <laughs> Digby comes out, thinking she's a vagrant and threatens her with a gun he doesn't have. She explains she left her bag and keys inside, so he lets her in through the front door. She tells him she has something for him, but he says the same thing at the same time, catching her in a jinx. (gasps) Not a jinx! He insists she buy him a diet right to get out of it, and she says she will, but she wants to clean up from her falling into the dumpster first. She also wants... Box up the pest. 
Lucy gets the soda and goes to her office to grab her compact from her purse. As she sits, about to apply makeup, she sees an evil figure behind her in the mirror and knows this is what the perished actually looks like. The room starts shaking then, and the slush pile papers swirl around her in a tornado. She manages to get the perished back into the box and thinks everything will die down then. But it doesn't. The tornado of papers swirls out and into the lobby where it makes a mess of everything. It finally stops and everything falls eerily silent. Lucy, perished box in hand, hears Fabian calling for help from the basement. Oh no, that is definitely going to be a trap. Damn it. Oh, Lucy goes into the basement and finds Fabian in a pool of blood bleeding out from a gunshot. He woke up not long after Lucy drugged him and figured she'd come here, so he came too. As he searched around the back alley for a way in, someone shot him, and that someone is probably Digby, who must have figured out about the perched and making sacrifices to it to be successful. Lucy doesn't want her friend to die, so she makes a deal with the perched herself. Not long after, Alan, the maintenance man, comes down to the basement. When he sees Fabian, who looks very dead on the floor, he offers to cut the body up into tiny pieces. But no! No. He's still alive! Please don't. Very kind offer. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. But this one's still alive. Lucy insists he take her friend to the hospital. He's probably not used to that. No. She goes upstairs to the fourth floor office to find Digby. Digby is sitting at his father's desk, snorting what looks to be cocaine, but is actually his father's ashes. Dude, it's the 80s. It's supposed to be cocaine, not people. You know? Don't snort people. You know? He's, it's fine. He's just gone completely crazy, but it's fine. It's fine. Lucy tells him he needs help. Yeah. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) understatement (laughs) but then he notices the perished box and goes off on a spiel about how his father cared more about that thing than anyone else and how he knows what it is and what it does and that's why he shot Fabian he was trying to make a sacrifice to the perished and had plans to sell the building to a developer and leave with the magic doll He doesn't know that Lucy has already made a sacrifice, though, and luckily, the perished still seems to be favoring her. Digby even tries to shoot her, but the gun doesn't fire. He stabs her instead, pinning her hand to the desk, and then walks out. She hears as he makes his way out the front door, then hears something being thudded into by a car. Then she hears sirens, and then she passes out. When Lucy wakes, she's still in Blackwood's office, but she's no longer pinned to the desk with a knife, and her hand is bandaged. Cal is there, waiting for her to wake up with a coffee at the ready. He tells her what happened to Digby, even though she already knows he's dead. He also tells her that Fabian called to report that he's not dead. Sloppy Joe comes in the office, then, with a list of people who tied her up and tried to sacrifice her. 
not normal office behavior. It turns out he was the one who set her free. Cal realized they were there up to something and told Sloppy Joe and they basically saved her even though it's actually the parish doll doing all the saving. Then they tell her that she is the new boss because she's the only person with senior in her title. Well, well, Lucy decides she's not going to fire all the people who tried to murder her. But she is going to keep that list when it comes time to feed the perished again. And that time will come soon enough. All the interns of New York (laughs) cheer. All the workers come into the office and she tells them that things got a little bit out of hand but it's Christmas the season of forgiving (laughs) now it's time for them to publish some horror books and make people shit their pants (laughs) hold on to your butts people (laughs) flash forward December 1st 2019 New York a young lady, the newest intern in Blackwood, is blathering on to Lucy about horror is out and young adult is in. She loves YA and all the paranormal books that have been published, like Twilight and Beautiful Creatures and Vampire Academy. What? Lucy's never heard of Vampire Academy? Well, there are 12 books with vampires and dampiers and a hot guy named Dimitri. Mm, Dimitri. Mm, Dory Dimitri. <sighs> and a movie. But the movie wasn't good. Oh, the intern just loves all that sort of stuff. She also loves that doll that Lucy has on her shelf. Her grandmother has one just like it. As the intern remarks about the perished, Lucy dies and the perished finds a new owner. Amanda. Is the owner us? I think so. I think it does. Oh my god, I need to tell you about all the 12 books in the Vampire Academy series. Okay, this is what happens in book one. <laughs> this is what happens in book Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Thampod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Fanpod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. And then, in the 12th book, <laughs> I mean, wow. Whoa, wow. I cannot believe that, that happened in the 12th book. <laughs> I would suggest we do it as a vampire book club series, but already have. Oh, hey. We talked about that book for an entire year. Yeah. Oh, oh, hold on. We're back. We're back. Oh, Standout moments. Yes. Standout moments. Oh, Hi, everyone. Hi. <coughs> Standout moments. Vampire Academy. <laughs> Is it wrong how much I love the epilogue? No, it's so perfect. <laughs> uh, did you literally? I, 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 you'll have listened to the audiobook as well because, you know, thank you, Hoopla, for having it. Yes, of course. Um, and I literally stopped and just stood still and listened to the whole lo- whole epilogue with my hand to my mouth going, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> it 
we are intern. <laughs> it was so perfect. That was actually my surprise, I think, that Vampire Academy was in this book. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'm exactly the same. So, so many beautiful creatures, Twilight and Vampire Academy. Like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> oh man um how much of a toxic work environment those blackwood cultures oh. have i mean oh my god i mean you know pushed to one side i mean the fact that the raven and the brides of dracula and all these other people got together tied her to a conference table and were willing to sacrifice her based on guesswork there's no evidence no she just said i'm gonna how did how did they know she said to carl break a leg you know were they in the office with her or was he gossiping behind her behind her back you know it's entirely possible that he he went out and was like oh man i don't know if i want to work for her she just had to break my legs you know because he's been oh. working for everybody Right, he goes and True. he goes and helps everybody out. So I'm sure there was some sort of gossip going on, or yeah, it's also possible bit... that the Raven was just out there in the hallway. Oh, she's nosy. She's a Debbie one. Yeah, but yeah, it's just hundred percent toxic work environment. You, that's not conducive to mental health and well being in the workplace. Do not like. Do not appreciate. Yeah. Do not. Do not try and sacrifice people on the conference table. No. It's just no. Do not do that. Do not do that. I think that you know, after forty years of not turning a profit, and clearly everyone who works there will know something weird is happening because surely they know that the books that they're publishing, you know, aren't good. Or aren't they're obviously not very good at the job either. So they think the book is good, but it's obviously not good. They don't understand why it isn't good because they're bad at the job. It's their whole it's a circle. Vicious cycle it's, yeah. of incompetence. Yeah. But Lucy's gonna turn things around. She does turn things around. She, she turns it into a horror publisher. And then Fabian's book transylvanian dirt which like how great is that title love it it has you know 20 books in the series and it's amazing and every one of them is a bestseller i want to read that series Me i too. want to have vampire book club based on that Me series. too. we haven't done a vampire book club in a while we need to Ooh. have transylvanian dirt yes. we need it to be written and I've realised 20 books is a long commitment and, you know, there is burnout after a certain amount of time. We experienced that with the Suki books. We did. But I'm I'm willing to put the work in. Sure. They just need to, you know, be written first. Yes. <laughs> that would be helpful. So it would be easier to Andrew talk Schiffer. about a book that exists. Yeah, I mean, if Andrew Shaving could get on for that, that that'd be good. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks in advance. Yeah. 
I love that Fabian, though, when he gives her this manuscript, is like, look, vampires are coming back. They're making a comeback. Yeah, they are. Vampires all, all vampires all the time, though. All vampires all the time, yeah. <laughs> I loved Fabian. He was the best. Yeah, uh, he was my favorite character for sure. Like, in his giant fur coat and all of his drugs and constantly drinking absinthe. <laughs> he is such a stereotype 80s British guy in New York, isn't he? Yes. Yes. I did get some David Bowie vibes from him as well. Yeah, I could see that. Or Elton John. Yeah, I think I was going more down the... I, I, I prefer Bowie, so I was down that route more. Yeah, I find... I, I can never get over the fact that you pronounce his name that way. Bowie. Because that's not... Bowie. It's Bowie. He said it accents, man. But he said it himself. I know, but it's just what I thought. When you grow up pronouncing something in a certain way, it's difficult to change it. I'm sure it is. I'm I'm one hundred percent sure. I didn't say Claire. Why are you saying it like that? I said I'm just I. It shocks me a little bit every time. That's my surprise. Can I can I take <laughs> back my surprise about Vampire Academy no. being the book? <laughs> No, it has to be Vampire Academy. <laughs> Always Vampire Academy. Yes. Yeah. I don't like the amount of absinthe that was being drunk. It's, yeah. it's not good. It's horrible stuff. Mm-mm. Absolutely horrible. Mm. But I burned so badly. Oh. No, no, no. Yeah. I crashed. Yeah, no. <laughs> I enjoyed the Christmas party and that like some of the people there you know lucy was having conversations with several of her co-workers and this is you know her she started work on monday and the christmas party's on a friday you know so her fifth day at work but people are being nice to her some of them and she's just having regular normal getting to know you sorts of conversations with people and everything's fine and then they start opening up their presents and it's really cute that it's like really silly inside jokes and they're all really enjoying each other and each other's company i think that's really cute even though they're terrible at their jobs i like that they get along they can work well together as a team as evidenced by the tying up to the conference table with christmas lights (laughs) And they were all wearing robes. Like, where'd they get the robes? Why do they have matching hey, robes? You've got, if you're not dressed appropriately in matching robe attire, is it a sacrifice? No. Is it really a sacrifice? No. And I like that they were all wearing Halloween masks. There's a green witch. I think there was a William Shatner, which is the Michael Myers mask. That's the mask that they use for Michael Myers. So yeah. that's funny. And there was a, a Phantom of the Opera and Wonder Woman. I think those are the ones that were so. mentioned. Like, those are fantastic masks. Good choices. I like I like the fact that they had a meeting, which is obviously the one that she was excluded from. Yes. And you can imagine they had, like, a, 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 probably be a board on the wall and post-it notes where they've plotted out, right, 
okay, so you, you and you, you're going to go and get the robes. You and you are going to go and get the masks, right? Who wants what mask? Mm-hmm. Does anybody have any particular... Right, how are we going to tie her down? And then, oh, I can't just use rope. Well, we'll just use some Christmas lights. We've got some Christmas lights knocking around. And the fact that you even bother plugging them in. I know, that's the best part. <laughs> it's just... You, the, 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 it, it, it's exactly as you say. They obviously work well together mm-hmm. as a team. Mm-hmm. They're able to plan a sacrifice, even though completely inappropriate in the workplace. Sure. And... It, you know, it's so far, if it wasn't for the Pest, it was going really, really well. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they would have needed to do the sacrifice if it wasn't for the Pest. Right. But this this is what confuses me a little bit. Like you say, they've worked like nobody at Blackwood Publishing has ever quit apart from Agnes. Right. So they've been there for years. Yes. It doesn't seem like it's a high turnover um, employer. Mm-mm. So they've known, like you say, that something hinky has been going on in Blackwood Publishing. Or potentially something hinky. I suppose Blackwood himself didn't really use the Persian effectively in getting Blackwood Publishing to be, you know, profitable. Yeah. He missed a trick there. He's sacrificing the intern, but he's asking them for the wrong things. Yeah. So <laughs> how how have they suddenly leapt to the fact that somebody who's been there for less than two weeks is performing witchcraft, essentially, and that they need to sacrifice her to stop well, her murderous, destructive ways. You know, it's it's the 80s now, so it's prime, like, satanic panic time. Oh, right, okay, so satanic panic probably mixed with a good amount of cocaine. And absinthe. And absinthe. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Because, the, I mean, Xavier has had the perished, you know, since the 40s. So maybe they wouldn't have noticed. Or he he was just sacrificing interns. <laughs> so Just interns. Yeah, it was just interns. It's not like they were actual people. <laughs> In terms of people to Amanda, mm, I'm sure. No. So he was sacrificing only them, but then when the perished latched onto Lucy and her weird under her breath mutterings, you know, that's different stuff. And she didn't realize it, of course, at the time, so she keeps muttering weird stuff under her breath. And these things keep happening. So she hasn't worked out all of the kinks yet. Give her a good 40 years for things to, you know, get going, and it'll, and it'll all be fine. But right, but right now, it's weird. Right now, it's satanic panic. Okay, I'll let you off. Have you actually looked at Perished Dolls on Tinternet Web? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> They're bloody amazing, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love, I'm, but I love creepy dolls in general, so. Screw you, Elf on the Shelf. We want a perch on a perch. Yes. I'm trying to think, is there a word that rhymes with perished? We'll have to think about that. But yeah, I love them. They've got so many horns. Some of them have got wings. Yeah. 
They've all got manic smiles. Yeah. Crazy little dolls. I like like I I want one. But no one is surprised by that. No one Either. No. no. I don't I think that I want to fashion my own so that it's not actually a real one and that it will actually, you know, put, shove mechanical pencils in my nose. Yeah, there's not on eBay. Good. It's probably not allowed. They've let me down. I mean, if I put haunted parish doll, it might be on there. Don't send me a haunted one for sure. Can't have that. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I think we've answered surprises. Have you come a favorite character? I mean, I think I said that Fabian was my favorite. Yeah, I agree. I love him. Yeah, I love. I love his. I love his vision. I love his Britishness. I love his Americanness in Britain. Yeah, like New York kind of melding together. Yeah, and the fact that he writes vampire vampire fiction. Yes. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I wish that. I wish that. Xavier Blackwood wasn't so picky about his books that he publishes and that, you know, because down there in the slush pile where all of that stuff is, like, there's thousands of submitted manuscripts. And Lucy starts flipping through them and, you know, she finds some good-sounding horror books. Like, those are missed opportunities. Those, He's a genre snob, though. Those could have been really He's an good books. Genre snob. I know, but it's the same, isn't it? Like, oh, horror's not real fiction. Audio books aren't real. Isn't I know? Reading. Just stop it. Why your fiction isn't real? Nah, stop it. Uh, no, stop. no, no, stop it. Stop being such a genre snob, and just read the books that you want to read. Yeah. But if you're a publishing house, I understand as a publishing house you might want to focus in specific areas. Yeah. You know, especially like some of them are academic publishing houses. Sure. They get that. They have to specialise in it. But, you know, Penguin don't just do classics. Right. They branch out into a lot. And then they have subs- subsidiaries. So if you do not want Blackwood tarnished with horror, then have a subsidiary who does the horror and actually makes you some fecking profit there. Yeah, really. He's He's... Terrible businessman. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And it's clear, like, he de- he doesn't read. He doesn't know what he's doing. Stop it. Get out of here. It's a good thing. Why did he even want to get into the publishing business in the first place? <sighs> I don't know. No, I, I hate that kind of snob. Yeah. Don't be a book snob. Don't be a book snob. It's not okay. I mean, we can be book snobs. But we're not going to tell you what not to read. We're just going to be like, oh, that's what you're reading. Okay. You enjoy yeah, that. We, you enjoy exactly. that. Exactly. And we, we might discuss a book that one or both of us don't really gel with. Sure. But we're going to say, this wasn't for me. Yeah. We're not going to say, this was absolute garbage, nobody read it. Yeah. We've read Hot Paradactyl Boyfriend and we've told everybody to go read it. Right. And if we're telling people to go read that... We are not snobs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that book was ridiculous. That book so, would not have been published by Xavier Blackwood's Blackwood Publishing. 
95% of what we've read would not, if not more, be published by Vanity I'm pretty Fair. sure 100% of the things that we have read would not have been Under published. Under Blackwood. Uh, yes. However, when Lucy takes Under over... Lucy, Lucy to be like, yeah, this is great. Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. Have you met my parish doll? Hi. Have you read Vampire Academy? <laughs> this is what happens in this one. And this is what happens in this two. Oh my god. Andrea. face tattoos. <laughs> Ooh, it's been a while since that one's come out. Oh. Andrea. <laughs> oh, I love it. Are there any Vampire Academy short stories? Because I really would like to, to delve into them up here. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's at least one floating around out there. We will have to investigate about yeah. a future vampire book club. Yes. Anywho, shall we dive into some Would You Rather? Yes. Yes, we should. As the echoes of Adrian and Doi Dimitri Doi go throughout the basement that nobody should ever go into. Yeah. Don't go into basements, people. No, no. We will go into Would You Rather. <laughs> would you rather is extra double special today because we are joined not only by the author andrew schaefer yay thanks for joining us yay. we are also joined by superfan Lindsay for her, her, for her first game of would you rather yay welcome we're so excited that you're both here <laughs> but now it's time for would you rather <laughs> yay Right, so we asked on social media, it's time for Secret Santa, the game and not just the book. Would you rather receive a rubber chicken or a can of soup and a potato? Rubber chicken. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely amazed by all the stats, to be fair. On Facebook, it was 75% rubber chicken. On Instagram, full 50-50. There was no, no one preference. And on TikTok... <laughs> It was 75% for a rubber chicken. I am questioning what everybody's doing with mm. these rubber chickens, but let's not. Let, let's see what the comments say <laughs> from the listeners. It may give us some answers. Likely not. Drew on Facebook wants <laughs> soup and mash. Not just a potato. She wants her potato mashed. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Coral on Facebook mm. says, Okay, I love soup, but I don't want it gifted to me. I would rather cook my own soup. With rubber chicken, I can tease my naughty cat with it. So, choosing the chicken. <laughs> Emily on Facebook said, Both of these are tempting, but I went with the rubber chicken. It lasts much longer than soup and a potato, and I can throw it as people who, men who give corny jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my Svengoolie fans? I feel like Svengoolie is a bit of an American thing. Doesn't sound very American. <laughs> Obviously, we are not Svengoolie fans. Sorry, Emily. Please tell us what we're missing. Uh, I've gone straight to. Oh, oh my God, he's weird. Uh, Svengoolie is an American-hosted horror movie television program. Thank you very much. Fantastic. So, as as the only non-American holding up my very British card, I'm allowed to be the only one not to know what that is. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, Lydia on Facebook says, Rubber chicken is forever. Food has a limited shelf life. Literally. Colin on Facebook, Rubber chicken is a much more versatile gift, plus it fits with my whole over more. If I had a potato, I'd have to go all Samwise, which normally needs. Everybody needs mm. potatoes. Potatoes. <laughs> 
Bree on Facebook says, there's so many more hilarious pranks I can play with a rubber chicken. Quinlan Lafroy on Thread said, potato and a can of soup, preferably potato, because I, you can never have too much potato. And then a lot That's of right. potato emojis. Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> Sharon Joy Reads on Instagram said, it's got to be the chicken, right? It's a classic worst secret Santa. Real Jackson Ford on Instagram said, soup and potato, which doesn't surprise anybody because Jackson Ford always goes for the food option. Always, always. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, Andrew, what are you picking? Uh, well, I have uh, used rubber chickens as pranks before. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those rubber chickens they have at like pet stores that are like just they're like hideous. They're for dogs. I was walking by a pet. I was walking by a pet store in New York once and they had this. It was it had to be three foot tall rubber chicken, <laughs> just the most hideous thing. And I was like and so I just walked in there and I said, how long has that been in the window? And they're like years and i was like no one's gonna buy that are they and they're like it's like 120 dollars." and i go i'll give you i'll give you 50 bucks for it and they go fine just take it <laughs> and so i was i was house sitting for someone and i took it back to their apartment and i just did like a whole photo shoot with this giant chicken all around the house wearing their clothes sleeping in their bed and then like and then like hit it in their bathtub you know and then i slowly <laughs> sent these photos out to them and that was the last time i ever house sat for them actually <laughs> but you know so i would say the rubber chicken just there's so many again there's so many things you can do with it mm -hmm. um you know just in terms of regifting uh, a can of soup though and a potato um i mean the potato doesn't have a very long shelf life so it's true. And what about you, Lindsay? Definitely the rubber chicken, because I can re-gift it or give it to my dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. Excellent. I don't think I like everybody saying, oh, I'm just going to re-gift the secret Santa gift that I got. That sounds really like, I mean, you do, but you don't admit to re-gifting, do you? No. Or is that just oh, no, 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 no. You don't admit no. it. No. Where I used to work, we used to do a one pound like secret Santa thing, but it was more just like a potluck and it was always food based items. So it was always like coconut or pineapples or a scratch card on the lottery if you didn't buy food based or a packet of biscuits or a potato. I've been gifted a potato. So, you know, actually it's very useful. You know, I had chips that night. It was lovely. <laughs> Rubber chicken. It would probably go in the bin, which would therefore go in the landfill, which is bad for the climate. Why are you uh, throwing away your presents? Well, that's not was... very nice. Well, I'm not regifting them. I don't dislike anybody enough to regift a rubber chicken. But you will throw it straight in the trash. What does that say? That's also not good. <laughs> Nobody knows. I'm not going to give this to anyone else, but I will give it straight to the garbage. It will. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't go straight in the trash, but it may eventually meet its doom in the landfill. Mm. <laughs> I. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you have this in your family too. I mean, in my family, we've had like you know gag gifts that go around year after year after year, mm -hmm. and you don't know who's going to get them. You're like, who had this last? And and uh, you know, it's, exactly. and, but then there are other gifts like that where you're like, just give this to someone and they'll throw it away for me. You know, I was going to throw this away, but you could do it. 
the, the chances are something like a rubber chicken would live in it work would live on my office desk and you know that's where it, that's where its home will be so every now and again you know get if it's the squeaky kind people get squeaked it mm-hmm. but it's not something that's going to live in my house i think i'm going to go for the can of soup and the potato because at least you know i've got lunch and then i don't have the guilt of you know having something i'm not really bothered for or regifting. Hmm. I'm also going to go with the soup and the potato, but I prefer that my potato be um, one of the p- potatoes made out of pantyhose. Because I did gift you oh, that for yeah. Christmas last year. I did <laughs> I gift you a potato for Christmas, and you didn't throw it away. No, Yay! because it's precious. This is a pre- precious pantyhose potato. It has memories. Yes. So that's what I'm going to do, but, but I'm going to eat the soup myself. And hopefully it's delicious. Mm, tomato soup. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to agree with Annie and do like a potato soup. <gasps> do you know I've really been fancying mushroom soup? Yeah. No, you can keep all of that. <laughs> I'm on the same boat as Amanda. Yeah. No. Throw that no straight problem. in the trash. Or re-gift it. <laughs> Don't add it to a food bag. Jeez, I'm sorry. Okay, next question. Next question. (laughs) Would you rather be trapped under the slush pile with a broken leg or pinned to a desk with a knife through your hand, which will give you an infection? This is my kind of would you rather. (laughs) Twisted and horrible. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. Best kind of question. Lindsay, do you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, I would say the broken leg because I don't want an infection in my hand. Mm-hmm. And at least I would have, I mean, I don't know if I'd be conscious to be able to, you know, read all the slush, but you to can... be pinned to a desk, like, no. Like, I can see the blood and I can see the, yeah, no. I'm queasy just thinking about it. <laughs> Yay. Andrew, what do you say? Well, you know, it's really, I mean, obviously the broken leg sounds better, but it depends what part of your leg you break. Um, I mean, if it's just like an ankle or something, you know, that's probably fine. Um, But like, you know, if you, if for some, somehow you break, uh, you know, a a larger bone there, um, uh, whatever your thigh bone is, whatever that is, you know, the femur, um, you know, I, you know, uh, my wife saw someone get hit by a car and they broke their femur and, you know, like a year later, it's not like healed. It's like, so, you know, I mean, a, a slush pile is probably not going to do that to you, but I think it kind of depends on, you know, how long you're going to be out of action. I mean, you know, you might want to roll the dice there. Also, I mean, a hand, I think, I don't know. You don't want to cut any tendons or anything, but you could, you come back a little bit faster from a hand. Mm. Unless you lose the hand because it goes gangrenous or septic. Ooh. Right, right, right. I feel like the broken leg situation is probably going to be worse because it was, you know, perch involved. And, um, <laughs> I mean, getting stabbed in the hand, like, that was a human that did that to you. So I feel like the mystical, magical evilness of the broken leg might make it worse. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, if you're going by, you know, strictly in the book, yeah, then then you're, uh, yeah, of course. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stab my hand. I am not okay. going to stab my hand. I mean, I, I will have someone else stab my hand. No, I don't want that to happen either, <laughs> no, but that's, that's the option that I'm choosing. Stab hand. Oh, I'm going to go with broken leg. Um, and because it's a would you rather and we are the lords and masters of all we severe, it's going to be like an ankle or, you know, it's not going to be the femur. Screw that. It's going to be a nice clean break, no compound fracture, no no difficult healing process. And I'm just going to sit under the slush pile and just read, you know, might as well have some fun with that. Because I've, I've got a feeling that if it went through my hand, you know, there's going to be tendon damage might be you know i need to be able to flip people off basically mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm, i need to be able mm-hmm. to throw the bird and if i can't and a very social thing with my husband because it's funny not to run the strangers in the street um but, you know i need to be able to do hand gestures and if i can't do hand gestures rude hand gestures then what's there to live for so i'm gonna go with the broken okay. leg plus you know i i don't I, i've read far too much about sepsis and i don't i don't want that maybe i should rethink my answer because also you've got the slush pile there to keep you entertained you might find the next big i might find the next stephen king you might or Mm -hmm. there might be some hidden vampire book in there oh there probably is there There probably is okay (laughs) yeah break my leg i guess Let's read. Well, speaking of vampire books, would you rather read Transylvanian Dirt or In Dog We Trust? Well, you know, so so one of these books, In Dog We Trust, is a is a werewolf novel, and the other one's obviously Transylvania Dirt, a vampire novel. Um, they're both sound um, pretty terrible based on what <laughs> I wrote in the book. <laughs> Um, although my, my wife no. gave me the first Lucy loved, Lucy loved Transylvania dirt. Well, this was in the eighties, you know, I mean, I think we've, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how well it holds up to today. Um, I feel like in dog, we trust would be republished as a paperback from hell today though. So, you know, you know, Transylvania dirt might be a little too highbrow even. I don't, I don't know. It's. It's, uh, but I, I do want to see, I do want to read in Dog We Trust because I, you know, because just because of this, this, how it starts off, I'm like, how can it get any better from that? <laughs> I agree. I feel like Fabian, as much as I love Fabian, and like, you know, he was my favorite character, as much as I love Fabian, I feel like his books are maybe a little bit too pretentious for me. So I need I need to read some garbage. I need yeah, to read he's a, dog he's a little long winded. He's gonna it's gonna be long winded because he wrote all these gothics, and so it's just gonna be probably too. It's gonna be too good. Yeah, give me. Give I started me the reading. Instead. I start. I started reading a like a literary fiction book the other day, and there were about ten words on the first three pages that I'd never heard of. And I mean, there was some words I mean that I probably should know, like ossify, but I'm like, why are you using the word ossify? <laughs> It said the Kleenex was ossified. Oh. And I was being, you mean it was like a snotty Kleenex? I mean, I, it was like a dried snotty Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. Just say that. Don't, don't. I feel that would be a lot of 50 cent words in Fabian's books. Mm. That person sounds like they'd be the life and soul of a party. Not. That was sarcasm, Lindsay. <laughs> okay, good to know, oh. Claire. Thank you. <laughs> 
Am I the only one that's going to go with Transylvanian dirt? No, all vampires all the time. But okay. like, I've got a feeling that Transylvanian dirt would be adapted into a really terrible TV series, um, a la Vampire <laughs> the Masquerade, when that was done, and it was a horrible TV series. But I freaking mm-hmm. loved it. So it's going to be like one of those where I'm going to love the source material but I'm also going to really appreciate the adaptation that takes place that nobody talks about because mm, dodgy but bear in mind I did also study the gothic novel at university uh, sorry Joe I didn't read all the books um, 20 years later I'm still apologising um, so yeah I need to read Transylvania Dirt so it's Team Claire Lindsay Team Dirt yep. that's fine that's fine. Team I dog. mean, I yeah, team dog. <laughs> Although I can't believe I'm leaning team werewolf again. This is the second time in as many weeks that I have chosen a werewolf option, which... I don't know you anymore. I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> what I was about to say. I don't know what's happening. I don't know, I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> grab the werewolf hand because it's just right over there. I could grab it. No, not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. Stop it. No, we're gonna move on. <laughs> Go put your fangs in, young lady. I really should. <laughs> Okay, next question. Would you rather keep the perched even though you know what it requires to work properly or set it free not knowing what havoc it's going to wreak? Oh, this one's easy. Then what's your answer, Claire? Uh, Keep the perched even though I know what it requires to work properly. I've got a list. It's colour-coded. Yeah, I mean, keep just... I mean, keep it. I, I don't... I mean, unless I, you know, left, walked out the door or something and left some chaos behind. But even then, you know, you're not even getting to see what you've left, you know. So it's, I mean, you got to see, you got to keep it, I think. Lindsay, are you keeping but it? But this precious little Hufflepuff doesn't know what to do. Mm, you're going to have to think. Got to answer. You have to answer, answer it. But I don't know what it really requires. I don't have that's option C. Well, that's on you. Well, maybe you should just set it free. I, I have a long memory that dates all the way back to infant school. I so hold I, grudges. I guess I will set it free even though I don't know what's going to happen. It's out of your hands. You're, 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 that, that, that's chaos. All the blood, Lindsay, is on your hands now. <laughs> all of it. You're going to be like Lady Macbeth, just like looking at your hands and never being able to clean it from the red spots that's covered. But it's not me! It is, you set it free. It's all your responsibility. Can't believe you did that. Damn. Oh, just... Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm obviously keeping it because I hold grudges. And I need to, I need to rectify those grudges. I don't hold grudges. That's Lindsay, on you. I'm, <laughs> Lindsay, I'm dead inside. I am, I am the villain. I am the worst person. So or I'm just gonna, just gonna murder everyone for my benefit. It's fine. Not me. Yeah, you're too precious for that. You're too precious for this world. I will not sacrifice you. Take you out. No, <laughs> I'm choosing. I'm actively choosing not to sacrifice Lindsay to the parish. Oh, you making a deal? Sure. It probably wasn't a good deal, but it's fine. 
<laughs> Next question. Last question, right? Last would you rather? It is. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it's probably one of the, the, the most important questions we've ever asked on would you rather. <laughs> would you rather listen to an in-depth recap of Vampire Academy? I can recommend a podcast for that. <laughs> or watch the movie. Um. Well, you know, uh, I, I have to preface this by saying one of my friends wrote the book, though. So, um, but I, I assume we're talking about the movie. Um, is that right? Yes. Okay. The movie that is faultless. It is a faultless movie, and I will have nothing bad said about I it. I don't know if you'll find anybody that would say that about that movie. It <laughs> was. Um, I, I I listened to the uh, How did this get made? Podcast on Vampire Academy. Uh, which is pretty entertaining, actually. Um, I made it about five minutes into the film. It was just—it's <gasps> one of the greatest vampires. Genuinely, I adore that movie. It is brilliant, and I—it I, is a very good adaptation if you take some the artistic license in place. We covered the entirety of Vampire Academy on Fictional Hangover. Oh, okay, okay. Every single book has been had had its own episode. Okay. We love it. Yeah, no, I love the books actually, but uh, that movie, I I haven't seen the new series though. I I know there was a new series that came out. (laughs) I was like, nope. Um, No, 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 no. It it had one season and mm. one season was too much. It was like, oh, it wasn't anything like the books, which I understand it's two different things and it's totally fine for two things you know it's based it's based mm-hmm. on or whatever that's fine it's fine but it was really bad the first like five minutes there was full ass on the screen like what is what why why do you have it's, it's, who needs old but <laughs> it's that it sounds like the new uh nancy drew um which i haven't watched but but my wife started to watch it and she goes she's like uh writing cowgirl in the first three minutes or something <laughs> And she was like, this should be called Nancy Drew Fox because (laughs) it's all it is. Nancy Drew allowed to do that. Oh, yeah. They were like, look what happened with Riverdale. And we're going to age Nancy Drew up into college and it's going to be dirty. (laughs) I was like, nobody's asking for that. You know? Mm -mm. And then when the the hard on boys show up, you know, it's just... uh, Amanda's about to fall out of her chair. Nasty Drew. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Nasty, nasty Drew. Nasty Drew. Mm-hmm. That's what I should have been called. Yeah. yeah. They have like, why you don't have to make everything like, you know, it works for Riverdale, but that doesn't mean it should be everything. I mean, you know. No, everything doesn't have to be like hypersexualized. And like, there were, there were just, there were so many things wrong with the TV show. I don't even. Like, it makes me sad. I was very excited for it because Vampire Academy is one of my favorites. I'm like, oh, yes, they're finally going to do it right. Nah, nah, no. I haven't had a chance Not to see like it because it, it was, on, it was streaming <laughs> like on a service this. that I don't have and refuse to pay for. So I haven't seen it. So I'm hoping one day I will just so I can... I will have to see it. I will. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to watch it eventually. When, only when it's available freely to me. So yeah. I don't do illegal downloads. So yeah. I did really like the movie, even though everyone who has listened to all twelve episodes of Vampire Academy on Fictional Hangover knows that I think Dimitri in the movie was a doughy motherfucker. 
He is uh, a doughy motherfucker, but we love doughy Dimitri. We do love doughy Dimitri. The movie is really good, but I mean... Oh, wait, no, but we're not talking about reading the books. We're talking about listening to an in-depth recap, and I have already been there and done that and said all the words and edited all those episodes, and I don't want to listen to that again. So I'm going to watch the movie. I'm going to watch the movie after we finish recording. <laughs> I'm going to watch the movie, because I've already listened to all the podcast episodes. Thank you for adding that bit in. Okay, yes. Well, yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, Okay. Okay, so I feel like, I mean, that's that's the end of Would You Rather, and I almost feel like we've just been dissing our own show for the past 10 minutes. But we <laughs> haven't been. We haven't been because it's very good, and everything that we do is great. No, in- we've been there and done that, Amanda. We don't need to. Therefore, we have freedom to be able to watch the movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But if anybody say hasn't... Say not as you do, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, those are really good episodes. I I will say Hashtag that. Hashtag always be plugging. Hashtag always be plugging. Yes. <sighs> Favorite final thought quote. I will only give you three. Okay, great. Uh, this may be true. Put it this way: they're up shit creek and being fucked by the. <laughs> Here's the situation, though. I've already left the house once today. I'm not keen to do it again. <laughs> is it me or is it the book? Who can tell? Who can say? Was it Claire or was it Fabian? Was it Claire? Could it be Fabian? Amanda? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the doors are locked. Nobody's coming round. <laughs> I will turn the lights off and pretend I'm not home. Yes. <laughs> and lastly. Well, she thought, staring at her tired reflection in the mirror, that's why baby Jesus invented coffee. And I swear to God, this was literally me this morning. I was so freaking tired and I look like the dead. <sighs> okay. So I I don't even know how many how many favorite final thought quotes I'm gonna share because just, there were so just... many like good ones that were ridiculous and didn't have anything to do with what was going on oh completely it was a gold mine let's yeah. stop before copyright laws right. kick in okay so just with that in mind she was smarter than a pigeon probably I also really, really, really liked Lucy's finely honed publishing instincts told her the basement was probably going to be downstairs. <laughs> Lucy's smart. Probably smarter than the pigeon. Oh, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Hopefully, please. <laughs> Oh, I also really enjoyed Jesus H. Christ on a popsicle stick. (laughs) Okay, and then here's some real ones. I've been saying this for a while, but vampires are going to come back in a big, big way. Yes, baby. Yes. 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 Never call me a normal person again. Uh, Book, (laughs) Amanda. Book. Not lying. Okay, I got a couple more. 
The room smelled like dried glue and dusty paper. The smell of old books. The smell of happiness. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Okay. He always preferred books to people. Yes. Again, life or book. Right. And finally, all the best people are crazy. Life or book? So good. Oh my God. So good. I see you so much in this book. It's scary. <laughs> I know. <sighs> if you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? And is it going to be as good as this book? Potentially. 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 I haven't read this yet. It's on my TBR. But considering how close it is to Christmas, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to read it this year. It might have to be yet next year. Um, But I want to read it. And it's a book anthology. Christmas and the Other Horrors. Edited by Ellen Datlow. It's new out. You'll have seen people publishing it. It's the white book with the red cover in the bloody kind of reindeer mm-hmm. style. Hugo award-winning editor and horror legend Ellen Datlow presents this chilling horror anthology of original short stories exploring endless terrors of winter solstitutions across the globe featuring chillers um, by Stephen Graham, sorry, Stephen Graham Jones, Alma Katsu and isn't there um isn't there uh tanana reeve do in there too i've recently like enjoyed a lot of her scary stuff she's she's got good stuff then you need to read these this is the kind of horror book where it's the same with um oh gosh was it um monster girls and slasher slasher boys and monster girls Slasher like that. girls and monster boys. Some slasher was involved. Slashers and monsters. Slasher girls and monster boys. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's just gonna. Ha- I I can feel that it's gonna have such rich vault of short stories yeah. that if we ever need to just do something quickly, mm-hmm. um, we'll be able to dive in and be like, yeah, we're doing this one yeah. from the anthology because we like doing an anthology book because especially now it reminds me of our live in London when we were together so <laughs> sentimental the mm. <laughs> summary um, from whatstones.com actually the winter solstice is celebrated as a time of joy around the world yet the long nights also conjure a dark tradition of ghouls hauntings and visitations this anthology of all new stories invites you to huddle around the fire and revel in the unholy the dangerous the horrific aspects of a time when families and friends come together for better or for worse. From the eerie Austrian Schnabel Hirschten to the skeletal Welsh Mari Lude, by way of ravenous golems, uncanny neighbours, and unwelcome visitors, Christmas and other horrors captures the heart of horror of the festive season. Because the weather outside is frightful, but the fire inside is hungry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please. Yes. Get it into me. Yes. Now. Yes. What is your recommendation, my dear? Okay. I'm going to suggest one that I found when trying to learn more about Secret Santa. This one kept coming up as well. And is this one actually just came out a couple of weeks ago, so it's brand new. Ooh, nice. Yeah. It's called Candy Cane Kills by Brian oh, McCauley. That's a good title. 
And this is like a series. This is second in a series that he has. And they're like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's some like VHS horror. And the covers look like an old VHS like case. And it's, it's just mwah, so great. Okay. Oh, what fun it is to die. What a good tagline, right? <laughs> When Austin's parents drag him and his little sister Fiona to a remote cottage for Christmas, he's less than thrilled about the forced bonding exercise. But after learning that their holiday getaway was the site of a horrific crime, yes. this family on the rocks will have to fight for their lives against a legendary killer because Candy Cane is slashing through the snow with a very long naughty list. <laughs> love it, love it, love yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my god, the first one in the um in the series. It's Killer VHS, is what it's called. It's called the uh Curse of the Reaper. Yeah. I, oh my Don't god. Don't they just look great. so great? Yeah. Uh yeah, we need to get this on our schedule yeah we really do yeah okay let's let's yeah. make a note of those ones yes do we, yes i mean indeed. we've talked about two books that have only just come out but do we have any other new or indie spotlights yeah. i've got a third one i've got a third one that also just came out in november oh my god it's um, like it's christmas and it's gifts just keep coming i know i know this one is called Everything is Temporary, and it's by John Cohn. After a tragedy strikes the Barnes family, Sarah's husband, Tom, begins acting strangely. It starts with wild mood shifts and accusations at their 13-year-old daughter, but quickly escalates to the attempted murder of an off-season mall Santa. From what Sarah can tell, Tom's only motive seems to lie behind a mysterious hatred for Christmas that burns year-round. What's worse, Tom's only defense lies in a long-forgotten book he wrote detailing a traumatic event in his childhood that seems too far-fetched to be believed. His entire case revolves around the notion of talking Christmas trees, a living army of toys, and worst of all, a monster masquerading as Mrs. Claus. <laughs> now Sarah must go on a journey into her husband's past to learn if Tom is in the midst of a psychotic breakdown, if he's a danger to his family, or if he really is being hunted by the malevolent holiday horror that destroyed his childhood. <laughs> that sounds so freaking overdramatic, and I love so every good. second of it. I know. It's fantastic. If there's ever a season where, you know, OTT drama, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Christmas. Christmas. I would even venture to say it's more than Halloween. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. I'm, I'm excited to read all three of our recommendations. I know. You know what? Anywho. You know what? I was yeah. going to say, that's it for this episode of Fictional <gasps> Hangover. But it's not. I know the end of our festive celebration it's not but 
I will remind everyone, as if you didn't know, after 300 plus episodes, I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. <laughs> Join us next time for our live episode on Saturday, December 23rd at 1 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. GMT, as we discuss the short story Christmas Lights by and with Cat Ellis. So you know it's going to be deliciously creepy. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and YouTube at Fictional Hangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictional hangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.